welcome to the Business Chef Podcast, where we learn from the best about the business side of the food service industry. Do you make food? Then let us help you make money doing it. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food Make Money on Instagram or Facebook, or email us info at businesschef.org. As we get going today, one of the most crucial things in the restaurant and food service industry is the ability to purchase and purchase right and purchase consistently because a lot of times we are baited and switched. We might be given a lower price initially, but then over the long term, we end up getting those prices jacked up on us. So as we talk about purchasing today, we're going to talk to my good friend, Wayne Day. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Business Chef Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Sean Boucher, and with me today is one of the smartest guys that I know when it comes to purchasing and negotiating contracts and uh, things that are of the utmost importance in any food service operation or any uh, segment of our industry is making sure that we're buying food at the right prices and especially making sure that it's... um, that we can continue to get those prices and not just get them initially. Um, but without further ado, as we talk about purchasing today, I'm going to introduce my good friend, Wayne Day. Thanks, Sean. Wayne um, has an extensive background in the food service industry, and I'm going to let him kind of talk about that and give some insight as to where he's at and where he's come from. How'd you get started in this business, Wayne? Well, like most people that, that are kind of in any portion of the food service industry, I started out in operations. And I think it's important. I don't think you can be in any part of this business without starting out and knowing, you know, what the what the cooks do, what the servers do, a manager, uh, general managers, upper management. To go through those operations is imperative to understand the business. From there, uh, for many years, I worked in operations, worked my way up in charge of kitchens and and then chain restaurants. I got an opportunity at a very young age to go to work for a company that designs hotels and restaurants. Um, I, I learned all that I could. The, the owner of the company kind of took me under his wing and gave me opportunities, and I took every opportunity to learn refrigeration, ventilation, stainless steel fabrication, uh, all the equipment, small equipment, large equipment, installations, and requirements. Um, I spent a lot of time going to various classes and so forth within that company and organization until I finally became a field engineer where I was able to go out and, and inspect sites prior to construction, prior to installation of equipment for kitchens. And uh, uh, that was a time in, in Los Angeles when there was a lot of construction going on. So I, I, in the time I spent out there, oh, we did probably over 30 restaurants and hotels. I wanted to come back to Utah, and so coming back to Utah, I worked with an associate of mine years ago. He worked in the uh, distribution, in the food part of it. I tried to learn everything that he did, and at that point kind of went on my own with my own business, where I've been doing this now for over 30 years. And so what, it is, what is it exactly that you do? What's your niche? Where do you, you know, why, why do people call you? My expertise really is in the negotiation of contracts, whether it's in food purchasing or whether it's in contracts with distribution. Um, there are others. There's 
a lot of companies that are growing and are reaching a point where they're ready to kind of move on from being just an individual operator and they want to become either a chain operator or a larger multi-unit operator. And so my expertise kind of helps them to make that transition. So talk about some of the things that you've done just over the last 30 years, concepts you've worked with, people that you've been in touch with. Kind of give us an idea of some of the successes and maybe even failures you've had. Well, uh, let's see. Years ago, I worked with the Perkins restaurant chain, more in operations with them. But I started off with, um, like I say, with with an associate of mine. We started working with the Sizzler restaurant chain in the western states and then moved on to adding additional chains to that. Tony Roma's, TGI Friday's, uh, Tucci's, um, Chi-Chi's, and now uh, more more recently with, with Winger's and even Stevens. Uh, working with them in in various transitions and various contracts. So with that said, you've obviously, you've got full service and and, uh, limited service and a lot of different uh, options out there and and things that you've worked with. So let's, what I want to talk about a little bit is just kind of explaining the relationship um, between a restaurant or any food service outlet and the products they buy. So more specifically, how does the food get from the manufacturer and, and whoever makes that food to me as an operator, to my back door? Well, you know, there's, there's, in food service operations, you really have two partners. Your partner is the distributor and the manufacturer or the vendor. Depending upon the operator's size and their resources determines who your primary partner is and who your secondary partner is. For example, the smaller operator who's an individual who just has a single operation or maybe a couple of operations that they handle on their own, the distributor is really their primary partner. The distributor has resources that they can use, and not only um, is this helpful, it's, it's somewhat vital to the success of your business. They have products of every kind, from commodity to grocery to disposables, janitorial, and even even smaller equipment and tablewares. They contract prices at the distribution level for themselves, and then they are able to go out and make the sales to these individual restaurants. Now, switching from that to more of my, along my line, the larger and chain operator, the manufacturer becomes more your primary partner. The distributor, you're still a partner, but now your secondary partner. The operators generally... Uh, have their own purchasing department or they have their own personnel that, that are involved in contracting and so forth. And so now they go to the manufacturers of food, the packers of commodities, and they negotiate deals uh, through their distribution. So again, the manufacturer becomes more that primary. And the distributor, although still a vital partner in the process, they are more about ordering that inventory, keeping track of sufficient inventory, Buying the product, and this is one point that a lot of people don't realize, is that that distributor finances your food because they have to pay for it up front and they keep that inventory for you. And that's a big part of what they do is financing your inventory. And then, of course, delivery and service. The area that I fit into is that as these operators grow, they reach a point when it's time to go from one level to the next. They may not quite be ready for full-time purchasing personnel or to, to bring on more people. And so I work almost like a part-time purchasing contractor to help to negotiate not only the food and non-foods, but also to help negotiate the work with the distributors themselves. Wow. So, I mean, really, there's a lot of parts to this. So we've got, we've got a manufacturer who's actually making the food. 
Um, regardless of whether that's everything from a chicken breast where they're actually growing the chickens and, and, and harvesting the breast to uh, somebody who's making a sauce and then bottling that sauce and it, it coming through the doors. Where do, where do food reps fit into the scheme of this? Well, your reps or your brokers for some of your local uh, lines, these are the guys who represent what they what they can do, what their capabilities are. These are the important people that you have to have relationships with, because you go to them, and you uh, you know a restaurant, an operator has a menu. They have a menu that they want to do, or they have a set menu. You take that menu, break it down into the the high volume and low volume components of it, and then you meet with those reps and brokers to find out what their capabilities are, what products they may have that suit that operator, and then. There's a lot more to it than that. Then you've got to go into the quality levels. You've got to go into you know what areas you want to be, the negotiating of pricing and logistics for shipping and freight. Um, all of that takes you know takes time and takes that from the manufacturer to the distributor. Then from the distributor, it's much more simple. Once you've negotiated your, your program there, the distributor serves for, again, stocking your product, how, how much do they need to have on hand, financing that product and delivering that product. So what would you say to somebody who decides that maybe they don't want to pay for some of those services from a distributor? They decide that, hey, I'm going to run over to Sam's Club or Costco or one of my local grocery stores. What are the, what are the upsides and downsides of that? Well, I have a client who, when I first was hired by them, they were, in fact, buying products from Costco, products from local grocery stores for produce. There's a lot of issues there. These are not food service-packed products, so the packing of them is difficult. You have to arrange to be able to pick them up and and bring them to your facility yourself. Even if they offer a delivery service, there's still the, the issue of having to go and shop for all these items individually. More importantly than that, At the distribution level, manufacturers and distributors protect themselves with insurance and liability on product. So when you buy product through a mainline distributor, a licensed distributor of food service, you have, as as an operator of your restaurant, you have some protection there against liability of product that may be bad, product that may be recalled, or any such thing like that. Uh, So the liability issue is a big deal. There's also those who think that, you know, well, I'll just set up my own distribution and have my own commissary. And there are companies that do that. It's very large. It's very expensive. And most of them have not really worked out. There are still a few of them out there that, that do okay. But most big companies have done away with that and just gone with mainline distributors. It's interesting because I know that uh, the Subways and Burger Kings of the world have kind of gone that route where they're using the mainline distributors, but then you've got the McDonald's and Carl's Juniors of the world that have kind of kept it in-house too. So obviously there's pros and cons to that, but it sounds like that's more based on size than anything else. Is right. that correct? Right. Well, and, and even even the McDonald's, I mean, when you when you get your restaurant chain to 18,000 locations, maybe that's an option for you. But even with McDonald's, they contract with distribution points to help them with their delivery service and commissary. So when it comes to setting up a purchasing program, you know, getting, because obviously we, we've seen that it's multifaceted. So how do we, how do we go about setting that up? What are steps one, two, three in, in getting a purchasing program going? 
Well, like I said, if you're if you're an individual operator, your your probably best bet is to work within the distribution network with their salespeople who can help establish order guides and establish product lists and can go out and help you with your high volume items to gain some pricing structure. For those that I work with that are more in the multi-unit or in national account chains, uh, is really more about going to the manufacturer level, work with them, get the products that you want based upon volume. And the volume is an important part of this. It's what I call a descending dollar. The number one thing you want to get your best price on is the item you spend the most money on. So I'm not really too concerned about how much I'm paying for toothpicks, but I'm really concerned about how much I might be paying for steaks. (laughs) Well, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, Where do... Because you hear a lot about GPOs nowadays, these group purchasing organizations that help maybe the little guys, the individuals to get better prices or to to kind of pool their resources, so to speak, and get these better prices. Kind of explain GPOs, what their role is, and uh, maybe some advantages and disadvantages. Well, you know, GPOs can be a big benefit to any operator of any size. These companies basically contract with, they contact all the operations they can, small, big, it doesn't matter. They're looking for volume in product. And they have established themselves with manufacturers already on a, on a multitude of items. And the more contact they can make with multiple operators, the more that volume grows within that structure. So they're, of course, out to sell the items that they contract for. There's nothing wrong with that. They can be a big benefit. Uh, they basically pool their purchase purchasing power together so that they're like they're all one company. In fact, most distributors have GPOs that they work with and that they'll offer some of that GPO buying with some of their smaller clients. The GPO GPO then goes to the manufacturers. They contract the pricing based on these multiple operators that they represent. Now, the GPO then gets, of course, a portion of the savings through various methods. Um, The GPO gets... um, once, you know, when I go in and I set up purchasing, I look for the high-volume items that you can concentrate on outside of that GPO, the, uh, the, main, the, the center of the plate items, the high-volume items that you're turning all the time. But even I use GPOs for items that the operators that I represent can't contract pricing because they just have a lack of volume. So even, even the slightest little items, these GPOs will still track that and, and get you onto their programs, and you can get a benefit on, the, on some of the lowest volume items you have. So a lot of the negotiations that go on, how how does that work? Are, I mean, we live in a society now that is very mobile, and everybody texts instead of phone calls now. And you've been in this business for a long time. You know a lot of people. And, uh, I mean, are you are you calling somebody up and saying, here's my volume, just match the price? Are you going to lunch with people? You know, how does that work? Well, part of this business is still pretty old school. High tech has entered into a lot of our a lot of our issues, and we've been able to get computer reports. We carry uh, we carry inventories and we carry information in our in our phones, in our laptops, in our in our iPads instead of carrying around sales books like they did in, in the older days. But still, some of that contact is still face to face, and that's an important thing. One of the biggest things you can do with you with, as far as contracting, this is the way I do things anyway, is that you need a relationship. The relationships that you create with manufacturers and with their reps and their brokers can save you in difficult times. Um, There is something about 
you know, the people that go out and say, you know, someone offered me a penny less per pound and so I'm gone. And that only means that that guy only has your business until somebody else has a, is a penny less than him. I look at it from a longer standpoint than that. You need to have relationships with these manufacturers so that when things go wrong, they're there to help. So from the sounds of it, there's a lot of people that if we're, ba- if we're buying solely based on price, we may be missing out on the long-term game, which is when those price hikes happened, which we know they will. They, it's, it's all cyclical. So as, as our, our wing prices come down, our chicken breast prices go up or vice versa. And so we we're, we're really have to look at this from a perspective of long-term relationships. And, and I've, I mean, me personally, I've always said and I've always felt that, that having the relationships, regardless of whether that's with your employees or your uh, distributors or your guests, those relationships are what I got in this business for and what I think has kept me here, regardless of the times that I've tried to get out. Um, I, I always come back, it gets in your blood and you can't really get away. And those, those relationships play a big part in that. So what, when it comes to, to these relationships, um, obviously there's, there's manufacturers and there's reps and there's, uh, or brokers and, um, us as end users. What do you think kind of taking that whole picture in mind, what do you think some of the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to, to purchasing are? Well, you know, we're, we're talking about one right now. One of the biggest mistakes is that people think price is everything. You use a supplier until another is lower, and then you jump to that supplier. And I know it sounds cliche, but relationships with these manufacturers, distributors, and brokers are important because things change. The economy goes up and down. Food products can be really fickle based on weather, shipping, fuel, strikes. You need companies that are loyal to you because you're loyal to them. And you need to foster the relationships and really be a partner. When, when we say partners, it's not, just a, it's not just a phrase. It's being partners with those manufacturers and with that distributor. But, you know, there's another uh, mistake that I see quite often, and that's that food service operations, whether they're small or large, they forget who they are. I have seen independent restaurants all the way up to large chains over the years who forget who they are and who their guests are. They suffer severe setbacks and even failure. They get excited about something that they like or that is a, that a potential competitor has or some, you know, whether it's a trend or they get so excited about these things and they invest in these menu items and food items that their guests have absolutely no interest in. We all get a little short-sighted when we're always on the inside. And so it makes some sense to always have those on the outside that are giving you some vision from time to time. Well, and I think that's a huge that's a huge win for our industry is really being able to look at what works and what doesn't work and just really being objective about it. Because at the end of the day, our guests, regardless of whether we work in a grocery store, deli department, or we work at uh, the corporate levels of a, of a multi-unit chain, it's really being able to take a step back and look at things objectively and uh, and fall back on those relationships and, and also just be able to really see what the guests are buying. And if the guests are buying it, then we stick with it. And if they're not, then we got to figure out why. And we got to go, we got to go back to the drawing board sometimes. But from, from my perspective, I think that when it comes to purchasing, and this is something I had to learn um, long ago, was that 
price doesn't matter when it's five o'clock on a Friday night and you're out of something. <laughs> and, and that's when we go back to these relationships. And that's when we go back to kind of the roots of, well, we can either, we can either serve a, a substandard product and we can just get it out there, but that obviously negatively affects our guests, or we can run to the grocery store and just get whatever's there. But at the end of the day, I, if you're talking about partners and partnerships, a lot of times I've had distributors and, and food buying partners that have showed up on Christmas Day or showed up at Thanksgiving evening and, and actually brought me things that I was out of, which obviously my fault. I had run out of and didn't buy them. But I think it's those type of intrinsic values that, that people a lot of times lose because I think people look at purchasing as a game of numbers and not not just people. You know, I, I said for years, people would say, you know, what do you do? And I say, I have a responsible position. When something goes wrong, I'm responsible. The whole idea of what I've done for many years is have the experience so that when they do go wrong, guess what? My phone rings and they say, what do we do? I need to have those answers. Do I always? Of course not. But over the years of experience, more often than not, we can get something done. You mentioned the relationships with these people. I had, I can tell you not that many years ago, the, the relationship I had with the manufacturer got a truck into the distrib distribution point on New Year's Day. The, men, the relationship I had with the distributor got one of the distributor's people to go in and receive that truck on New Year's Day. So that that doesn't happen when you're bouncing around from place to place or when you're shopping all over town for everything you buy. There's no loyalty to you because you've given no one your loyalty. So at the end of the day, I think what it comes down to is when, we, when we're establishing a purchasing program and we're looking at um, long-term viability, we really have to factor in relationships almost as much as we factor in price. These, these relationship partners that you have with manufacturers and distributors are every bit as important as the partners that you have in your finances. Uh, they're the ones who bail you out. They're the ones who help you out. And at the same time, when times are good, you, these are the guys you stick with because, they're, because you know they've been there in bad times. Well, I, I, for one, have definitely learned a few things today. I think that there's a lot of uh, value that can come from those who have worked in the industry a long time and those who have seen a lot of the ups and downs. Because really, at the end of the day, we, regardless of whether we're in an up or a down, personally, someone else is in an up or a down on, on the other side of the track, so to speak, or in another segment of the industry. And so being able to kind of look at things in overall picture and know that, um, that things don't last forever. You know, the the outages and the price hikes and things, it's all, it's all cyclical. And so you really have to look at a long-term view of things when it comes to purchasing. And I know that a lot of the companies, especially the smaller operations that I've worked with over the years, they, they, they tend to be way more um, concerned about the price today than they are about the business tomorrow. And I think just in talking to you, it's kind of reinforced that with me that uh, part of a long-term solution is not only these, these relationships and not only these, uh, you know, prices and deals that you're able to negotiate, but really having 
a long-term perspective and not just getting mired down in what's happening today. Well, a lot of the years of experience I have have led me to be able to know when to contract. Like you said, things are up and things are down. You know, when are you going to contract your potatoes? When are you going to contract your oil? There's certain times of the year you want to contract that. There's certain times of the year you don't want to be negotiating. Last thing you want to do is be negotiating a price on wings when March Madness is coming up. Everybody in the world wants wings. So it's it, it matters when, and you need to know the trends. You need to know the commodities market, and you need to follow that constantly to kind of see where things are and just be on top of it. It doesn't, uh, you know, after the, after a number of years, it's just a matter of your life. Just that's what you do. And it becomes a, it becomes a part of you and it, and it helps to benefit your clients. So, Wayne, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and, and ask you questions or maybe tap into you for some of your services or expertise, what's the best way to do that? You know, uh, email is probably the easiest way for me because you never know on a phone side whether you're busy or whether you're in a meeting. Um, my company is called FGC, and it's real simple. I don't want to make it difficult. It's just a food guy consultant. FGC is the company. I'm in Utah, so it's real simple. My name, Wayne Day, at UT, for Utah, FGC.com. And are you open to people reaching out to you with any questions or anything that they may have? Oh, certainly. There's no reason why I can't respond back and help out. It doesn't mean that we have to have a long-term issue or that we have to have potential there, but just questions and things that I might be able to help with or I might be able to steer people to the service, more of the services that they need. And that's, you know, for all the listeners out there, I think that's something that really take into account when it comes to not only our guests, but just generally speaking, people who have made a name for themselves in this business that as much as they're willing to give of their time and their talents and their knowledge and things that are very valuable that they charge money for, I've, I've one lesson that I've learned and trend that I've seen over time is that the more successful someone is, the more willing they are to help someone else uh, out in getting them started or getting them going or making them more successful. And that's definitely the case with, uh, with our good friend Wayne Day here today. He, he charges by the hour and, and makes a lot of money with what, for, what he, um, for what he does, but he's also willing to help out and, uh, and drop some golden nuggets of knowledge for those people who are who are looking or, or uh, in need of some help. And really, at the end of the day, we all can learn from each other and we can all learn um, maybe not necessarily a financial or um, short-term lesson, but a long-term lesson, a life lesson, something that will stick with us from those around us. So I would encourage you to take advantage of some of Wayne's knowledge if you've got um, if you've got purchasing questions or questions on negotiating contracts, like I said, he's one of the smartest guys I know and uh, has been very successful the, over the course of his career. Wayne, thank you for your time today. Thank you very much, Sean. You can kind of put the pressure on here with uh, the smartest guy you know. But yeah. I sure appreciate the good words. <laughs> I don't know if I said smartest guy I know, but one of the smartest guys I know. Thanks That's very much. for sure. <laughs> Uh, and with that, we will uh, end our discussion today. Thanks for joining us again, and uh, we'll see you next time. And when you get a second, give us a review. 
It really helps us get the word out as well as letting us know how we're doing. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food Make Money on Instagram or Facebook. Or email us, info at businesschef.org. This Business Chef podcast was brought to you by the Culinary Technology Fund. To find out more about how you can make a difference in the lives of culinarians as well as creating a more sustainable food service industry, email us, info at businesschef.org with Culinary Technology Fund in the subject line.